0: Just in time for Halloween, your worst nightmare has come true. (laughs) You've got to hear from two of us. And speaking of Halloween, tonight is our annual Trunk or Treat. And be sure to bundle up. It's going to be cold. Make sure you wrap up your kids over there or under their costumes. We hope that everybody will come. That starts at 6 tonight. We'll meet here in the auditorium for a devotional. And then we'll go out into the uh, parking lot for Trunk or Treat. And then we'll come back inside for a chili supper. And we still need your help. We would like to ask you to sign up on the way out this morning, either to decorate your trunk or help in the kitchen uh, or bring something to eat. We really do need some more volunteers for all those tasks that I just mentioned. And we definitely need volunteers to set up the gym after our worship this morning. I know we just asked you to do that last week. We'll leave you alone after today, I promise. But today, we need a bunch of folks to head down there and get that gym set up like we would for an all-in-one for our big crowd tonight.
1: Alex, we've got some pictures up here, I see. (laughs) We've got some pictures up here from former years uh, of Trunk or Treat, uh, actually the last two years. Luckily, we didn't use the picture on the right to advertise for this morning for both of us preaching, because people probably wouldn't have shown up if you knew those two guys were preaching. Uh, But we, we have a lot of fun at Trunk or Treat, and... I hope you'll come. There's usually a huge crowd, lots of people, and most importantly, lots of candy. Mm. And so please come, get your candy, have some fun, and see what what all the fuss is all about with Trunk or Treat. I want to take you back to August the 21st, 2017. Now, immediately, you may remember what happened that day, but that was the day of the great American eclipse. And I was asked to be a chaperone, for North Middle School on that trip, and I accepted the challenge knowing ahead that I would be confused as one of the kids while we were there in McMinnville, and so we went to McMinnville, and this is a, one of the pictures as it was slowly beginning to get dark, and then the next picture you'll see is pretty much in the middle of totality in McMinnville, And one thing that's really cool in this picture, is you can see, the the movie lights had come on, all the lights in the city had come on, and it was so incredible to stand there, in that moment, in the street, and just look around at everybody that was there, and and the reaction that everybody was giving. And I looked around, and you had kids, you had adults, you had people from all walks of life, and the same reaction was happening from everybody, no matter if you were five years old or if you were an adult with a a doctorate degree and knew exactly all the science behind what was happening, the, the reaction was awe and wonder, and no matter what was going on in their life, whether rich or poor, they were shocked and amazed by what they were seeing, and the reaction was all the same. And everyone was put, basically, on the same level. For about two minutes during the totality of the eclipse, everyone was on the same level.
0: In an amazing way, the eclipse brought people of all different backgrounds together, and they were experiencing the very same thing. There's something else that brings everybody together. It's what we're talking about this morning. And it's not as pleasant as the eclipse or as exciting. Our word for the day is grief. And grief is something that we all share in common. No matter if you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, black, white, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, except our very young here, we have all experienced grief. Now grief simply is a multifaceted response to loss. It's what we experience when we encounter loss in our lives. And most, if not all of us here today, have experienced grief. It levels the playing field. It puts us all uh, in the same category. We face all sorts of losses in our lives that grieve us. What about losing a job? When you lose long-term employment in a place where you've worked for years, a place that was familiar to you, you knew all your coworkers, you knew how things operated, and now you're out of the job. There's a loss that is involved there that ought to be grieved. What about when you move? Maybe you move to a a brand new town and you leave behind your old home, uh, family, friends, all that was familiar to you. You lose a lot in a move and that loss can bring about grief. What about when the kids grow up and you have an empty nest on your hands? And there are no more activities to attend, no more sporting events to enjoy. When the kids move off, and that time of your life is over, that is a great loss that can cause grief. But the most significant loss that we face, and the loss that we most associate with experiencing grief,
1: is the death of a loved one. When a loved one dies, we go through various stages of grief. And this has been researched and talked about for many years. And those stages are in various order. Denial, numbness, shock, bargaining, depression, anger, and acceptance. And one thing that the research has shown is that a lot of times we think that we're going to go through those stages, that we'll reach acceptance, and then I'm done with grief. And I can move on. Whatever I was upset about, now I'm heading in a new direction after acceptance. But actually, it's not exactly true. One person said it this way, that grief is more like a figure eight. And instead of taking a step, denial, numbness, shock, acceptance, that really what happens is you're in this figure eight, and that throughout life, you go in and out. Of the stages of grief. And that once you lose a loved one, you may not ever fully get over that. You may not ever fully get past grief, but instead you may go through a figure eight where some moments you may be in acceptance, others you may be experiencing numbness, other moments you may be experiencing shock. And grief takes you in and out of those stages. I had a pretty good childhood, and the first 14 years of my life, I never lost anyone. And when I got to age 14, that was when I first experienced a major loss in my life, when my grandmother passed away of breast cancer. And up until that point, I didn't fully understand what loss was like. I didn't understand what grief was like what the stages of grief were like, and no amount of preparation prepared me for that moment as a 14-year-old, and leading up to that moment, you know, I had always seen people in my life that I was close to get sick and get better and happen in a cycle over and over again, but when my grandmother passed away, it, it, it really crushed me. And it it sort of sent my life into a tailspin where I dealt with anxiety that was accompanied by anxiety attacks where I would stay up at night just shaking and trembling uncontrollably. I couldn't really do anything about it. My mom would hold me through the night, but nothing really helped. And I also dealt with worry because for the first time in my life, I realized that the people that I love may not be around forever. And so I worried, is, is my mom going to get sick? And this happened to her. Is my da- am I going to lose my dad, my sister? And I worried an excessive amount. Or depression, where each day I may face darkness, is what it almost felt like, where it was just difficult to even open my eyes and go throughout the day. And all this happening when I was 14 years old. And I went through all the stages of grief, in a figure eight, and I also recognized that everyone deals with grief differently, as I watched my granddad, who lost his wife, deal with it differently, and my mom, who lost her mom, but we all had to grieve.
0: Grief looks differently, different for everybody. Our experience of grief, no two are the same. When I think about experiencing grief in my life, I think first of my three grandparents who have passed away. God blessed me with four wonderful grandparents. Grandparents are so special. And those of you who have had relationships with your grandparents in your life know this to be true. Special, grandparents are special people. And so losing my two grandmothers and my grandfather was very difficult. And it was a great honor for me to be able to pay tribute to them by preaching their funeral. But the relationship of a grandparent to a grandchild is a very special, tender one. And when you lose somebody who loves you so unconditionally and thinks that you're the most special person on earth, it can be very hard. I also think about, when I think about grief, I think about when Lauren and I lost an unborn child in early 2015. And that was a totally different experience with grief. I was grieving that loss, but also concerned about how to comfort my grieving wife as we were both dealing with that differently. Two very different experiences with grief. With my grandparents, we were grieving lives that had been lived to the fullest in many ways. They had been on this earth for for decades. But when we grieved that child, we were grieving a life that had yet to be lived, at least outside the womb. And as I look out over this audience today, I know that many of you have faced much greater grief then we have more significant grief. You've lost children, spouses, parents. But the fact is, all of us are placed on the same playing field when it comes to grief. It's something that we all share in common. We can relate to one another.
1: Even Jesus' grieved. If you look in John chapter 11, and I hope you'll follow along with us there, you'll see that as Jesus approaches the tomb of Lazarus, He looks at the people there and he says, where have you laid him? And as he approached the tomb, I want you to put yourself in this story. I want you to put yourself in Jesus's position as he's approaching the tomb. Maybe you're thinking about uh, a situation that's really uncomfortable, that you've avoided for a long time. Or maybe you're thinking about a person that you've avoided For a long time, because it's just your relationship's a little uncomfortable, or maybe you're thinking about a time where you saw a family member for the first time after your family has been faced with tragedy, after your family has been hit with tragedy, and you can imagine the emotions that that fill your heart, that fill your life as you're approaching that situation, and if you can imagine that situation then you can put yourself where Jesus is at. Because as he's approaching this tomb, and as as he reaches the people there and says, where have you laid him? You can imagine, he's been thinking about this. And the emotions have been filling his heart as he approaches this tomb. It's very difficult for him. And as he approaches this tomb, Jesus wept. Jesus cries. You can think about what that was like for the people around him. How amazing this moment must have been for those who have watched him perform signs and miracles. Yet here is the Savior of the world standing before them with tears rolling down his cheeks. Jesus is there in Bethany,
0: the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, this trio of siblings to whom he was very close. And Lazarus, a dear friend, has died. And Jesus is sad, and he weeps. But I find it interesting that Jesus is not only sad about Lazarus' death, he is feeling something else here as well. If you back up to verse 33, As he is interacting with Mary. Mary, one of his sisters, one of Lazarus' sisters, comes out to greet Jesus. Jesus sees her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. Everybody, the whole community is sad about this loss. Everybody's crying. But in verse 33, we see how Jesus reacts to this. The text says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And this phrase, deeply moved in verse 33. It comes from language that originally meant to snort with anger. There was a sense here of harshness, of indignation that was associated with this term. So Jesus is not just sad as he gets closer to Lazarus's tomb. He's also angry. He's angry that this ever had to occur. And why is that? Well, he knows better than anybody else as the son of God, as God in the flesh. That it was not supposed to be like this. God never intended for his human creation to deal with death. Death came about as a result of sin. It was never God's original intent. And Jesus here standing can see the effects that death has on people. He can see the ravages of death. The the discouragement and the deep distress and sadness that the whole town is feeling over Lazarus' death. And he's not just sad about it. He's angry He's angry that they ever had to experience it in the first place. And by his example, Jesus gives us permission to grieve. He is grieving as he approaches Bethany, as he approaches the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. He's sad. He's weeping. He's deeply troubled. He's angry. He's a man who's experiencing grief. And He permits us to grieve our losses by His example. The man, the preacher who wrote the, um, the, in the one-word study guide on this word grief for the week, he talks about an experience that he had when he was preaching at a church in West Tennessee. He had written this booklet called When a Loved One Dies. And the church decided to send out this booklet to people in the community who had recently experienced loss. And so they did so, attached a a condolence letter with it, thought that it would be a great ministry. Well, they heard back from a gentleman in the community. He wrote back to the church, and he resented receiving this booklet and the letter of sympathy. He said that as a Christian, he didn't have any grief over the recent loss of his wife, because he knew she was with the Lord. According to this gentleman, it's unchristian to grieve. But, as we look at this story, and we see the one for whom we are named grieving, then we should come to the conclusion that it's perfectly okay for us
1: to grieve as well. So you can think back in this story, as Jesus approaches the tomb, as tears roll down his cheeks, as he snorts with with almost this type of anger, and you can see that the Son of God is experiencing very similar emotions as we did. And we can relate to Him. And if the Son of God can take some time to grieve, if He can take a step back and have time to experience the fullness of His emotions, then we also should be able to give ourselves time to experience those emotions, to face grief. And just think about how amazing this story is that the Savior of our world, the Son of God, is a real man. He's a human. That He's flesh and bones. That He's sad just like we are. That He's angry just like we are. That He's likely afraid just like we are sometimes when we're facing a loss. But I want you to remember all the times of grief in your life. Remember the times of loss and all the different situations that Joseph mentioned earlier. And realize that as those tears were flowing down your cheeks, that as you got angry, that Jesus understood. And that in the future, as you experience those emotions, Jesus understands. Because He's been there too.
0: Jesus grieved. There's no question about it. But Jesus did not grieve as one who had no hope. He did not grieve as one who had no hope. The interesting thing about this whole passage in John chapter 11, this whole account of Lazarus' death and soon-to-be resurrection, is that Jesus knew exactly how the whole story was going to play out even before it began. He knew the ending. He knew that Lazarus would die He knew that he would bring him back to life. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 11, and you see when Jesus was first summoned to Bethany, Lazarus is ill, your dear friend. He's very sick. You need to come and heal him. Jesus, he puts it off. He delays going. And he says says why in in verse 4 of chapter 11. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I have a purpose in this whole scenario here. I know how it's going to play out. And believe me, the result is going to glorify God. And so he delays going, even though he loves Lazarus, even though he's healed many other people, he puts it off. And then later in verse 14, he tells his apostles, before it's even been reported to him, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us now go to him. And so they go. But Lazarus, as Jesus just admitted, has already died. And he's already been buried by the time Jesus gets to the tomb. And so he knows how, how all of this is playing out. He, he knew that Lazarus would die. And he knew that he would raise him from the dead. He still grieves, yes. When he's approaching Bethany, he's still sad. He weeps. He's still angry. But he does not grieve as a person without a sense of hope he grieves as somebody who knows how the story is
1: going to end he knew all along that there would be a resurrection if you look at verse 38 uh, later on in the story Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it and Jesus said take away the stone and What's interesting is Martha is greatly concerned because she says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days already. So he smells already. If we remove this stone, the smell of his body is going to come out from this tomb and it's going to be awful. Are you sure we're ready for that? And I love how Jesus responds to, to that question when he says, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. He's almost saying, are you not listening to me? Have you not paid attention to what I've been telling you? I've been telling you all along that if you would just hold on, you would see something amazing. You would see something incredible. And why does he say this? Because he knew that the resurrection was coming. Jesus knew that when they opened that tomb that he would see the dead body of his friend Lazarus. He knew that the body had been there for four days before he even got there. And he knew that when he spoke to the body and said, Lazarus, come out, that his body would come to life. He knew that Lazarus' body would come to life and that he would walk out of the tomb a healthy man. Jesus did experience grief. But he grieved as a man who had hope for Lazarus' resurrection.
0: And Jesus in this story teaches us how we ought to grieve. As those who have hope in the resurrection. Not in Lazarus' temporary resurrection. But in our future permanent resurrection. And this language that we've been using throughout about Grieving not as those who have no hope. That is Paul's language from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where he encourages the Christians in this early church about the last times. He said, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want to be clear with you that Jesus will return. And when he does, the dead in Christ will rise. And those who are left will be changed. And will all be gathered up and will Go to Jesus and will spend forever in the presence of God. And so though we grieve, we are called to grieve as those who know how the story ends. We grieve with hope, with knowledge of how it's all going to happen when Jesus comes back. With knowledge that there will be a resurrection. And with that resurrection, death, that great enemy that Jesus cried about, that Jesus was angry at, death itself will be defeated. And in that dwelling place with God, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death. Jesus himself, when he speaks with Martha earlier, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, yet shall you live. We can be sad about death. We can be angry about death. But we know as Christians, that is not the end of our story. Though we die in the faith, yet shall we live because of Jesus Christ, the
1: resurrection and the life. We are called to grieve as people who have hope, who have hope of a future and eternity with our Savior, with God. And because the resurrection gives us hope in our grief and in our difficult times in life, God wants to use you God wants to use us to provide hope to other people when they are experiencing grief in their life. Jesus comforts Martha and Mary in very different ways. If you look down through verses 17 through 37, really this entire story, the way Jesus talks to these two women are very different. If you look at Jesus' confrontation with Martha, the way he talks to her is very upfront. He's almost a little blunt with her, very honest with her. She needed to be confronted with reality. Martha needed to see that this was reality, that what was happening was real. And in verses 25 and 26, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And when she questions Jesus in verse 39, he responds saying, didn't I tell you that if you would wait, you would see the glory of God. That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. But as Jesus approaches Mary, He talks to her in a very different kind of way. You'll notice through this story that He takes a very different strategy in comforting Mary. And as He approaches her, back in verse 33, He stops and He cries with her. He showed His love. He showed His compassion. Because Mary needed to be confronted with Jesus' humanity. She needed to see that Jesus was a real man, that He was a human, and that He was experiencing the same grief that she was. Now, we're called to comfort people in their grief. Because of the resurrection, because of our future hope, we are called to meet people where they are in their grief, in their heartache, and bring hope to their situation. If you look at Second Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Notice what it says. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which We ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us. And He comforts us so that we can be an extension of His love, of His mercy, and of His grace to the people in our lives who are experiencing grief. Don't be afraid of walking into a tough situation because God is with you and God wants to use you as an extension of His love to comfort others in their grief. We've been
0: talking about hope this morning, and truly the gospel brings hope to every and any type of hopeless situation. And we've been talking about resurrection as well, Lazarus' death and resurrection. But most importantly, we've been talking about our resurrection, the resurrection that all faithful will experience at the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ returns. But we'll only be able to enjoy life forever in God's presence if we experience resurrection in the here and now. And what I'm talking about is the resurrection we experience when we come up out of that watery grave of baptism. We die to our sins. We're buried in that tomb as Jesus was buried, as Lazarus was buried. And we come up and we are new people. Our sins have been washed away we are pure and white as snow we belong to god we're part of his family and we're assured a home in heaven with him that will last forever someday there will be a resurrection if you want to be raised in christ on that day you've got to be raised in christ in this life and if you haven't then i'll say to you you need to be raised in christ on this day if you want to experience that resurrection you need to experience the re- you must experience the resurrection that comes with being baptized. So maybe there are some folks here today who have not been raised up to walk in newness of life listen if you haven't, you won't be raised up on the last day to live forever with God. If you haven't decided to do that, we invite you to come this morning or if there's anybody else in the house who's struggling in any way who needs encouragement, who needs prayers, who needs to be restored to recommit your life to the Lord, then this is also a time for you to come and make those spiritual needs known. If anybody needs something from God this morning, then please come right now as we stand and sing.